Welcome to Ideas at the House, a podcast featuring some of the best live talks out of the Sydney Opera House. I'm Edwina Throsby, and I'm the head of Talks and Ideas. And in this session, we're continuing our selection of live recordings from Antidote, a new festival of art, action and ideas. Today, we're celebrating 40 years of Sydney's gay and lesbian Mardi Gras, with original 78er Julie McCrossan taking us right back to the beginning of the iconic festival. She's talking with writer and commentator Benjamin Law. At almost 40 years old, Sydney's gay and lesbian Mardi Gras is nowadays one of the biggest queer pride events in the world. It puts this city on the map. In its first iteration, however, Mardi Gras was, of course, also a protest, and it was a bloody one at that. It ended in shocking violence and multiple arrests at a time where gay sex was still a criminal act throughout the nation. Our guest today was one of those people at the first Mardi Gras, and you'll know her as one of Australia's most beloved broadcasters and media personalities. After 20 years with ABC and Channel 10, she's now a freelance journalist and facilitator who has qualifications in the arts, education and law. Uh, Today she reflects on the Mardi Gras' activist roots in a year where queer rights in the form of safe schools and the postal survey on same-sex marriage have taken centre stage in the national conversation. Please join me in welcoming to Antidote, Julie McCrossan. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much for coming along and taking an interest in the first Mardi Gras. Let's have a look at the first uh, picture, if we could. Ben's going to be my beautiful assistant. Uh, I I want to uh, briefly uh, show you some images of uh, events around the first Mardi Gras and the kind of question I'm discussing in my mind in this conversation, uh, because I'll speak for a little while, Ben will interview me and then we'll have opportunities for questions or comments, is why were so many people in the 70s willing to risk so much? You know, I find that a fascinating question. What was it about the zeitgeist, the spirit of the time? What nurtured that spirit? And are we essentially seeing another of those moments in history now when people are prepared to go uh, almost to any length to achieve full equality through marriage equality? Uh, And also, I'd love to just close with a few remarks about what's next. But uh, hand up if you were active in the 70s. Can I just get a sense? Because I can just see you. So a special welcome to you. And I fear we come under the uh, rubric of elders. Um, (laughs) But uh, this is the original poster. And uh, as you can see, there were multiple events for June 24th, 1978. A march in the morning in the city, a public meeting in the Paddington Town Hall, a planned festival, because that word, I guess, Mardi Gras hadn't fully been coined yet, and a dance at night. Uh, and I was part of that morning march. I didn't go to the uh, trip up the cross, even though some people claim to have seen me there. I've literally spent my entire adult life saying, no, I wasn't there. Uh, but I, I remember vividly the phone call later that night uh, because I had gone somewhere else saying, quick, get yourself to Darlinghurst Police Station if we could have the next image. This actually is uh, Taylor Square and there may be someone in the room later who can tell me what this is. I don't remember exactly which demo this was but when you were active in the 70s, wherever you turned up, that's how it began and quite often they had their numbers off. The only way I could convey it to you to try and give you the sort of ambience of the time is it was kind of like West Side Story. You know, there was our gang and their gang. (laughs) Um, If I could have the next one, Ben. But this isn't the gathering outside Darlinghurst Police Station that night because the 53 people who got 
arrested in that violent way up at King's Cross were taken to Darlinghurst and later on some of the women uh, to the big cells uh, at the back of the Liverpool Street Court, which was called the Central Court of Petty Sessions. But it looked like this. Uh, we haven't been able, in, in, uh, with Nick Henderson, this fantastic archivist who does a lot of voluntary work for the Australian Lesbian and Gay Archive down in Melbourne, uh, he hasn't been able to find photos from that night. Um, but this is another gathering outside Darlinghurst Police Station. That's looking up towards Taylor Square. This is the top of Forbes Street. And that awning to the right is the entrance to Darlinghurst Police Station, which is amazingly now a community health centre where I sometimes go for meetings uh, for work. Um, and people are sort of sitting in the cells, God help them, because it's heritage-listed working. Um, but it gives you the sense that the fact that we were all rung up and said, quick, get to Darlinghurst Police Station, there's people being arrested, we have to get them out. It was, it was just the latest in a series of run up to Darlow and bail out the, our mates because Darlinghurst was known as a very violent place and there were people beaten badly that famous 1978 night. If I could just have another image. This is a closer look at Darlinghurst Police Station. Um, and uh, uh, I, I have a vivid memory of, of getting up there and this huge crowd and uh, uh, the friendly lawyers that we knew, some of whom have gone on to extremely senior legal careers, trying to get people out. A, a man called Peter Murphy famously was very, very badly beaten. And uh, later on we'll give you the details of an episode of Compass coming up on ABC TV this month where I was lucky enough to interview Peter Murphy and others about the events uh, of that night. And uh, you'll see actual... Footage, footage at night. But I guess the point I'm trying to, to make, we'll just go to the next one, is to put the events of 78 into the context of the whole 70s. It was just, in my head, another demo. Uh, this is the Monday morning after the first Mardi Gras, as it was called. And Central Court of Petty Sessions is that stone... Uh, sandstone building you can still see in Liverpool Street and I hope I'm not telling I'm telling most of you for the first time that out the back is a police station and in that police station are many cells but including a very large women's cell and I literally made uh, some of, is Kate here today can you yes Kate is one of the friends that I made in that cell um, <laughs> who's a great mate and has turned up today and one of the uh, 78ers who was up the cross that night um, but when we arrived there was literally a, a, a three or four rows of police and, um, you know, courts in a democracy are open, that's one of our things, but we couldn't get in and there's... I have incredibly vivid memories of the lawyers wiggling out through the police and trying to get their clients in through the crowd and there were more arrests. Um, here's one of them taking place. So this is an article you would know that... Uh, uh, all, all the names and addresses of the people arrested were listed in the Sydney Morning Herald. There's subsequently been a, an apology for that, an apology from the State Parliament. It was last year, wasn't it, Kate? We were up in Parliament. And I must say I got very emotional to see it. I was extremely pleased to see Vic Aladev from the Jewish Board of Deputies in Parliament that day to witness our apology just to show support for us. And this is a, a close-up of that picture that was in the, the, the Herald. Um, you, it, and the, the, the naked violence of the police outside the court was shocking. I'll only speak for myself. I was no angel in the 70s. It, it, I'm going to talk in a minute personally why I was motivated. 
to risk anything. Someone who'd been an extremely conservative private school girl, a, a keen and sincere Anglican, who within about two years just went kaboom, you know. <laughs> I mean, I was just... It was the zeitgeist. We all went kaboom together, you know. But, uh, uh, you know, that... that that extraordinary sight of having a court blocked and seeing your mates dragged away. It, it, they were just amazingly wild times. So what I want to do now is f- put it in context. And I, there's only time because I want to have time for an interview and for you to speak. But uh, I want to give two stories of before 78. So I got to university in 1972, Sydney Uni, did year 12 in 71. And Penny Short was a a girl studying to be a teacher at Macquarie University. Um, And she wrote a poem that would... Now, my goodness me, you could probably put it in a safe school project. That was a joke. You know, it was a... It was a really... I was originally qualified as a primary school teacher, so I... Because I liked the little furniture. Um, But, um, you know... She wrote a, an innocent little poem that was published in the Macquarie University student newspaper. Now, no offence, that hasn't got a big circulation. <laughs> and she lost her, her scholarship, her teacher scholarship, and she never got it back, But which is wrong. I'm a friend of Penny's on Facebook, and she's now a grandmother and uh, devoted, and I'm pretty sure she did ultimately become a teacher. But she never got that scholarship back. But the point of this photo is to say, we just all got... We just immediately demonstrated. Now... I'm showing you this photo too for two reasons. One is, note we're on the footpath in George Street. So Gay Liberation, which has been born out of camp, and watch Compass and you'll see footage of what I'm talking about, but there was an organisation called Camp based in Glebe, Campaign Against Moral Persecution. And as a little incipient lesbian in 1972, 1973, my first Gay Liberation uh, meeting that I went to dutifully regularly at Sydney Uni was all men for the first 12 months. Um, yeah, which I just accepted and, and learnt a lot from them and they were great comrades in the struggles that came. Uh, but we were, we were learning how to be activists. You don't... You know, there isn't a guidebook, obviously. But it just amuses me that we haven't yet made it to the road. Uh, <laughs> we're on the footpath, right? <laughs> and that girl with the megaphone, see, it's slung over her shoulder and, she, and she's holding the... Um, you, I'm sure you're not all aficionados of the megaphone. I'm taking it back in time, before computers, before mobile phones. We're in a Doctor Who TARDIS here. But that's, that's me with that megaphone. And it was the first time I'd ever heard my voice amplified. <laughs> it's one of the most thrilling experiences of my life. Um, We'll just go on to the next one. Another shot. This is me now dressed as a nun. Now, did the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence exist in 1975? Can someone tell me? 81. 81? I thought I'm pre... I'm just dressing up as a nun before them. But for an obvious reason, that's a door of St Mary's. Now, let me explain. So, Mike Cloersey, there was a show called Checkerboard. It's 1975. And the Whitlam government is about to have a royal commission into human relationships. I'm not making this up. They did. And uh, one of the things they were probing was this homosexuality, remembering it wasn't decriminalised in New South Wales till 84. So we've got another... Help me with the maths. Is that nine years, guys? Yeah. Um, And Mike went on checkerboard, which I guess is a bit like... uh, I suppose a little bit like Australian story, but you still saw the journalist. Um, And he, he talked openly about being gay... 
Overnight, he was sacked by the Catholic school in which he worked. How interesting. All these years later, we've had a, a, an archbishop recently make a threat in Melbourne. Uh, as you know, there is exemptions to the anti-discrimination legislation for church ba- for uh, faith-based groups. And uh, uh, it, it, I was saying to Ben before I came on, more has changed in my lifetime than I could ever imagined and yet not nearly as much as I'd hoped. There's this odd tension. If you'd told me that I'd be telling you this story about Mike Cloasey losing his job in 75 and we've still got archbishops talking about the same thing, how fascinating. And yet, of course, we've made so much progress. But anyway, Mike lost his job as a teacher overnight because he'd been open about being homosexual just on the media. So what do we do? What any group of rational people would do... On Sunday, we dressed up and we went to St Mary's. And I have arrived on a motorbike. (laughs) The uh, thing that really gave me away is the cord in this black and white shot is actually bright purple. And I have rushed up the stairs. So down here, off camera, as it were, is a large... Well, not that large, I'll be honest with you. Anyone remember? There's about 50 of us there in my memory. And, of course, the inevitable blue vans with the doors open. In those days, they were bigger. I'm actually grateful I'm not an activist of that kind now because I'd get very claustrophobic in those small white police cars, vans. I often think about it, actually, because our vans were quite capacious. Um, (laughs) But But anyway, I, I rushed in. Now, I go to church, guys. I'm a Christian. I go to South Sydney United Church. I often think... What would have happened if I'd got inside? But fortunately, that young constable grabbed me by the cord and I remember flying back through the air. I was a little thinner then and he could lift me up with one hand. And that's a detective and him taking me down. I'm assuming I'm going into the van, into the cells, right, where I've been many times in this period. But for those of you who are young, no crimes of dishonesty, so I was still able to become a lawyer if I wanted. It's all about not doing anything dishonest. I'll just give you that little professional tip. (laughs) Um, But I thought I'd be in the van, but as I come down, and this was, again, the zeitgeist. Yes, the big violence was still to come. This is, what, three years before 78, before the big famous event. But he whispered to me, Jewel, do you remember me? This is being dragged down the steps of St Mary's. I said, what? And he said, we went to Ballface Public. This is a little public school on what I call Cusp of Shire, just above Blakehurst. He said, we went to primary school together. Good to see you. (laughs) And, (laughs) And he then shoved me forcibly back into the crowd but it was actually an act of kindness because he could have put me in the van and that's called the police exercising their discretion (laughs) Um, but again I'm telling you this in a light-hearted way but this you'd imagine you're a young person you uh, you know I I wanted to have uh, my mum had brought me up to have an education and a career and it looked like if you spoke out you lost your scholarship and you lost your job. So I go back to that question. Why on earth would some little straighty 180 like me and so many others risk everything? Shame, embarrassment, family, honour uh, and, and all the rest of it. And I, I wrote down, if I can just put my glasses on, I wrote down fear, shame, hyphen, no, exclamation mark. I'm trying to be, have a quick talk. When I was a kid, it was a, it was a criminal act... It was a mental illness and it was against God's will. And I actually heard someone yesterday, a senior Catholic leader, refer to it being against God's will again. So that lives on. It was decriminalised in 84. It was taken out of the uh, Diagnostic Statistical Manual, the DSM, the Psychiatrist Bible, by the American Psychiatric Society in 1972. Um, But go back to the 60s, 
And I want to try and, in three quick cultural examples, give you a sense of just how dark it was and why this explosive shame built up in some of us so that by the 70s we just exploded. So The Children's Hour was a play by a, a New York playwright called Lillian Hellman uh, that was a big hit on Broadway and it was made into a film called The Children's Hour but it was also uh, circulated in other parts of the world as The Loudest Whisper and it's based on a true story of events in Scotland in 1804, two women running a private girls' school and a troubled girl whispers to her grandmother a lie and that is that she's seen kissing and affection between the two women and their life is destroyed as a result. I want you to look at The Loudest Whisper on Netflix or whatever you young people watch things on these days. But I, I, I won't ruin it by telling you it ends in a hanging because I can tell you with honesty everything I read and saw until we start writing our own stuff, Benjamin... It always ended in suicide. So I don't want to ruin the story, but you can see it's Shirley MacLaine, Audrey Hepburn, I'll just have the next one, Kel Dew. You get the tone from the look on Audrey's face. I'll just have the next one as well. Uh, again, differente. <laughs> you, the word lesbian is never said in the film. I'll just go to the next one, if I may. And this is a scene from the film. Shirley MacLaine, Audrey Hepburn. This is a quality film. I'm in year eight. Back then we called it second year. I, I've got a Latin exam the next year. Both my brothers are about are on the way to becoming doctors and I'm highly competitive. But I stopped studying for my exam and watched this film. And the word homosexuality is never mentioned, lesbians never mentioned. But at one point in the film, after these women's lives are completely ruined, Shirley MacLaine breaks down and just before hanging herself says, I think I've got those feelings. I'll never forget it because I thought I had those feelings. I didn't even know what they were yet, but I, I saw legs swinging in the next scene. And it was, it was ten years till I heard anybody say anything positive. So why do I come out and do any interview I'm asked to do? Because I want to save kids from that. And it's as simple as that. I, I'll move on because of time. So just in case you think that was the only source, let's go back to what I had access to... Um, other than The Loudest Whisper, which I, I saw in about 67. But the, you go looking for stuff, right? You're worried. You think you might have something wrong with you. So you go looking. I swear to you, the only book you could find was by Radcliffe Hall and it was called The Well of Loneliness. Well, just go to see the next image. If you're not familiar with it, perhaps the title gives you a little hint of the atmosphere. <laughs> It's all about inverts. It's, it's women driving ambulances in the First World War and the character, uh, the main character, who interestingly enough is called Stephen, even though she's a woman, a hint of something to come. Um, and she has this line that she keeps saying throughout, which is, give us the right to our existence. And it obviously it explores same-sex relations between women. And give us the right to our existence... All these years later, when I finally joined Gay Liberation, I am now going to uh, confess to the damaging of property in the Balmain area. The very first graffiti that I ever wrote was in the back streets of Balmain. I was a very confident activist, as you could tell. It was night. And I, wrote, I linked two women's symbols together and wrote, We Exist. Is that the saddest graffiti you've ever heard? <laughs> I mean, I was virtually Stephen... But I, I read every word of that book more than once because at least I had some representation. They may have been very masculine, which I found a bit odd. I thought, golly, I'm going to have to have hairy upper lip, play golf and wear tweed. 
and, and if anyone's ever seen The Killing of Sister George, that was reinforced, another fantastically cheerful lesbian film of the era. <laughs> I, do I, you get the feeling, guys? Look up both on Google. Let's move on. So let's jump to now, except not yet quite now. I want to talk about the zeitgeist idea because when the zeitgeist isn't happening, I think we have to live as if it is. We can't wait. I'm 62 now. I've had stage four cancer four and a half years ago. My wife in New York, Melissa, is here. And I don't want to sound unoptimistic about survival in the context, but you never know how long you're going to be around after you've had stage four cancer. And so I may never actually see it in my own country, but I think you've got to live it now because you can't wait for the change to come. But anyway, let me flash back to 1999. So I'm on telly and that famous, and Jared Henderson and Anne Henderson run a thing called the Sydney Institute that some of you would know. It's often referred to as a conservative think tank, and they put out publications and so on. And Jared, that's a picture of me back in 99, and Jared came to me and said, you can talk about anything you like. And I said, look, I know no one ever talks about it, but I think homosexuals should be allowed to marry. He said, really? (laughs) Like, nobody was talking about it. So, always a bridesmaid, never a bride, recognising same-sex relationships. The title is because Melissa... How many times have you been a bridesmaid? How? Seven. Seven times. So, at the time, Melissa, a girl from the Shire, seven times a bridesmaid. Excellent. Never a bride. So it was, that was why I coined it. And uh, at that time, Justice Kirby, a man I admire tremendously, he didn't think we, we should have gay marriage either. Like, nobody thought. I give this wonderful talk, we'll just move on, and, of course, it, it dropped like a lead balloon. Late in 2016, Jared asked me again to speak, and this is David Van Gen, who's a GP uh, in Queensland... Uh, some of you, Peter, know of him. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll just show the next image, if I could. He's written a book called Stealing from a Child, The Injustice of Marriage Equality. Um, but this time the room was packed, and yet it wasn't a very big room. And I, th- I went to Jared and I said... Cause, so we debated, and I was absolutely polite. I actually believe in free speech and the, and the you know, debate of ideas and all that sort of stuff. But I said, Jared, I would have thought you'd get a bigger crowd for this. Normally they hold it in law firms. No law firm would have David Van Gend. You think about that. Well, I'm not sure if I'd cheer it because I do believe in free speech. I more give it to you as an example of social change. He said, Julie, you're not the problem. It's David Van Gend because all the law firms have got diversity programs now. Fascinating. Anyway, um, so the point of that anecdote, those two images, is in 99, no one was interested. It was like a quirk of character because many people who are activists of the gay community still thought it was a patriarchal, anti-woman institution, whereas I feel it's an institution that has changed immensely, a lot of it due to advocacy by women, as it's no longer the institution it was, and that it's an evolving thing under the common law uh, that we can change to our indeed to even include same-sex couples. So we'll see if it happens. But that question is, you know, when is the zeitgeist ready for change and what nurtures it? If we could go to the next one. So while we're waiting for the change, as I mentioned in uh, 2013, I had a a head and neck cancer diagnosis and I'm sitting in chemotherapy. This is a true story and Melissa's there and I suddenly thought, my God. I might not have time. And I said, if I get through this, will you come to New York and marry me? And so Luke and Amelia are our children. Uh, Mike, their dad, is a former partner of Melissa's. And I met them when they were three and six and they came to New York with us. And uh, as I've said in some of the media stuff leading up to the survey that we're probably going to do if the High Court lets it happen, um, 
it's good for kids. They, they were, th- weren't they, Melissa? They were over the moon. Um, this is us in, uh, in uh, Central Park. But what's really funny is I just posted that on Facebook and I didn't... No-one said, do you want us to be part of marriage equality? <laughs> While we're in New York, that shot up on the screen. But we were pleased to be be part of the campaign. <laughs> That's so... Whatever you, as your mother told you, whatever you post up there, it can turn up anywhere. <laughs> and uh, I know that right now... This is Melissa and I at the church that we go to, South Sydney United Church near Redfern, Waterloo. The woman on the left, I'll tell you, show another picture of in a moment, the minister is Reverend Dorothy McCrae-McMahon, who's been a tremendous activist for the inclusion and acceptance of same-sex people and transgender people within the Uniting Church. Uh, And the man on the right is Andrew Collis, not a gay man, just an open-minded man who is the minister of our church where I worship this morning. And I know that the, uh, the, the, what would you say, what we're all saying now is that the vote is about civil marriage. It's a change to the Commonwealth Marriage Act for civil marriage, not religious. So, yes, that's absolutely what's being argued for. But just me, Julie, I'm not just wanting that. I want full equality everywhere. I actually don't think I am against God's will or my partner and I. I mean, I I deeply don't believe that. And I don't know why I was given the gift of that at such an early age. And so when we came back from New York, uh, Dorothy and, and Andrew gave us a blessing it was so like a wedding. I said, are you sure you're allowed to do this? <laughs> and um, one of the people who was there actually is uh, someone who sits on the high court and she said to us, are you sure you're allowed to do this? As a joke. Um, but anyway, you can see a, a lot of people came and a lot of people took communion for the first time in many years because they were so moved to see that faith could be accepting. So I'll just wipe up, uh, wrap up if I can by saying here's 2017... And this is now, and then I want to go going forward. So to me, the two key areas for the future, marriage will happen. It's taken a long time, but it's going to happen. Um, But the two key areas for the future are faith groups. And this is Pitt Street Uniting Church gathering before Mardi Gras. We'll move on. Uh, This is Dorothy. And I just wanted to recognise an elder who's a role model to me, who was at church this morning in her 80s and still tremendously active in nitty-gritty ways helping people, a woman of true faith. Uh, She came out when she was in a leading policy position in the United Church. She lost her job, but she, through that, in a way, Falling down, others walked over her, you know that idea. And now people can be ordained within the Uniting Church. Um, and this is a man, uh, Noor Wasami. He's the f- uh, first openly gay I- um, imam in, uh, in the Muslim community here in Australia. We've spoken together at a, uh, an interfaith conference in Melbourne. It's a rather doer image of him, but he's a lovely, warm man who is reached out to by scores of Muslims who are men and women who feel that they are gay and for whom it is life-threatening to be open within their communities. So if you want to know what it was like in the 60s or the 50s in Australia, it's what it's like right now for Muslims. And I, I think this is the, the two key way forward. It's faith groups and it's multicultural groups because Mardi Gras, every year, uh, new people come. If we just go on, have I got anything? Oh, yes. I wanted to do... I think this is my last one, but it might be my second last. I wanted to pay... Uh, uh, tribute to to that gentleman, Ron Austin. I'm sitting next to him. Melissa's in the front. And we're chiefs of parade. You get the honour of being in a little car up the front. Of course, no one knew who the hell we were. It's a very funny thing. (laughs) The the very large numbers of young people think, who are those old dags in that little car? (laughs) But um, 
It's, a, it's an honour that you have to sit in the car. And Ron is the man who said in the 70s when everyone was getting beaten up, he said, why are we doing this? You know, why don't we have a, 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 a party? Why don't we celebrate instead of demonstrating? And a woman called, is it Margaret McMahon? Is that her name? Yeah. Margaret said, uh, you mean like a Mardi Gras? He said, yeah, a Mardi Gras. And so remember I showed you the picture at the beginning, pink with a butterfly. They were trying to have something gentle that turned more violent than anything else. But Ron was the man of genius. I was a crazy with rage activist who didn't, wasn't sure about the celebration thing. And I was profoundly wrong because by celebrating, people who didn't want to get arrested could join us and the general public could come and enjoy us. Is that the last one, Ben? Yes, it is. Thank you. This is wonderful. That was great. Bang on time. Bang on time. Julie, thank Julie, thank you so much. Earlier on in your talk, you said that there are things that have happened that you couldn't have imagined have changing right up until this point. More has changed than you could have imagined. Let's start with the positive stuff. Back when you were an activist in the 70s, what has changed since then that you couldn't have anticipated in a good way? Oh, uh, well, frankly, the number of people who are now uh, in public life in senior roles, you mm. know, to have Penny Wong with her partner and children, you know, and accepted in the highest office in the land. Unbelievable. People on the High Court who are gay. Mm. Uh, Karen Phelps being head of the AMA. I mean, enormously important and symbolic. And now Deputy Lord Mayor. And now Deputy Lord Mayor. I mean, to be honest, I, the other morning I was driving through the city and there's, you know, vote yes, and I'm thinking, I'm having some sort of dream sequence. You know, like, <laughs> uh, you know even... All the uh, companies, the private companies who are supporting marriage equality, uh, I know there's been some critique that not much money's been given, but throw that away. They're putting their name in support of same-sex marriage. These are unimaginable things. For mm. Remembering that, that decade of loneliness and terror that I had, that so, so many others had, that are you sick and wrong and dirty and filthy? You know, to, I feel confident that for young kids who may be in families either through faith or culture where it's not acceptable, mm. there at least are people in public life um, who are accepted and there's a beacon of hope. And you sort of hope that will reduce the suicide and self-harm rate. And on the flip side of that, what hasn't changed? What disappoints you that has stayed the same? Well, look, for me it's the faith thing, mm. Ben, and I, I'm very aware that that's, you know, it's a minority uh, position in the sense that many... You know, I, I don't know what the data is on, on what proportion. The majority of Australian Christians for a long time have been um, over 50% of Australian Christians support same-sex marriage. Yes, now. but in the uh, at the moment, um, in relation to marriage equality, some of you will have seen this, the Quakers are supporting it. Uh, Uniting Church is not saying yes or no, and all the others are saying vote no. Hmm. And as an out woman who is who's open about being a Christian... I, and it's just a dag, you know. I've always said I'm the friendly <laughs> suburban face of Australian lesbianism. <laughs> um, I want that on a shirt. <laughs> um, you know, I have a, a, a literally an endless series of young people, yep. mainly women but men as well, who are of faith mm. and who want to find some hope because they're fearful of exclusion from their families but also from their faith communities. And that can sound daggy to some, but if I, I, I know uh, someone who... Uh, had a very passionate same-sex relationship, I'm going to be very careful how I say this, but who's now quite senior in the Salvation Army. And it's only because the, it was just impossible 
uh, to be in the army uh, and to, to have this relationship. Uh, and so, uh, and it was impossible, impossible for this person to leave the Salvation Army. Mm. Uh, so there are people with deep cultural connections and, of course, cultural groups. Mm. You know, there's um, people for whom they're marching for the first time. Mm. Why would it be great when we're rejecting because we've got too many Muslim floats? <laughs> is that also, is that, when I, when I hear that, that also sounds to me like it's more that the institutions and the leaderships have fallen behind the, the constituents and their demographics. And I'm talking about parliament and I'm talking about church, that we do see the survey saying that the majority of Christian churchgoers support same-sex marriage. We see that the majority of Australians support same-sex marriage. Even the last essential polls showed that the, just over the majority of coalition voters support same-sex marriage. But the leadership has a completely different stance. Is that a fair assessment? Well, well it's not. It's more. Even, it's even more complex than that, isn't mm. it? Because both our leaders at the moment do support same-sex marriage. That's true. Marriage, That's very true. And, and the coalition have, have got a pro same-sex marriage group. Uh, uh, Nick Griner, her, her, who is what's help me? Is he president of the Liberal Party? What's the title? Uh, you know, he's, uh, I saw him recently talking at an event and he's supporting a yes vote. I think he's been open about the fact that one of his children uh, is gay. So it's, it's even more divided than mm. that. But this is now just anecdote, not based on research. But when we hear that surveys may say that over 50% or over 60% support, it doesn't mean they're breaking the silence within their church, their synagogue or their mosque. It, it, that might be what they're prepared to say in an anonymous survey, but it's speaking out in... Um, Within the community itself. I, don't th- I think that's very, very hard. Mm. A- and uh, there are still very strict and severe rejectors... Uh, um, ..both within the congregations and within the leadership. So... Uh, you know, I, I speak partly because sitting at South Sydney Uniting Church, we're like a little refugee camp for people of faith, uh, particularly gay, lesbian and transgender, but also just different people. Mm. And so they, people travel huge distances to come to Little Redfern because they're welcome, because they're, they're not welcome in a lot of other places. And it's still a rarity. Mm. Um, when you told that anecdote about, you know, going off in a parade and people were saying, oh, who, who are they, who are they? I mean, that's funny, but it also struck me as, is that an example of especially younger queer generations not having an awareness of their queer history? Am I making broad general statements? Because, like, for instance, I think that I'm still learning a lot about my community's history. Are we not good at documenting and celebrating and acknowledging it? Uh, Look, a few people have asked me that lately, and what I think is that, as a culture... Australia's not very good about history and respecting history. In general. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry about it because I think understanding one's history uh, really, really helps you understand the present and hopefully Mm. shape the future. So I'm passionate about history. I studied at uni, all the rest of it. But uh, as a group, we're a very modern country. You know, we're a recent country. Secondly, we're a very multicultural country, so we've got many histories. And uh, and at schools, we don't have good history curriculums and a lot of it is optional. Mm. So I don't think we're a history-sensitive culture. But nor do I want to wag my finger and say to young (laughs) men, you don't know how lucky you are. (laughs) You know, the... Qantas and Joyce are being nice to you. You know, <laughs> I, I, what would be more dull than that? I, I, I think our, <laughs> our, our role as nerds yeah. <laughs> and creative people like yourself uh, is, is to, um, like to go... When the compass says, would you interview some people? Yeah, I'll do that. 
you know, help to create mm. artefacts that can be stored that people can see. Uh, uh, I do every media. My partner looks forever no, la- laughs at me for the... There's no outlet too small for me not to do an interview <laughs> because I believe in, in keeping a record. And mm. uh, there is this uh, archive group down in Melbourne who are recording things. You're mm. creating cultural memories and, and, and items. So I think we do what we can so that when someone wants to study it at school or at uni or to in, investigate later in life, there's a path for them to follow. Hmm. But, you, know, you know, like entering the Minotaur's cave, we just have to leave the string. So they can, <laughs> you know, that's a classical reference and if you don't get it, <laughs> you get your kids to study Latin. <laughs> you, you touched a few... Uh... <laughs> uh, Greek! Greek, yes, yeah. I'll take Greek. <laughs> you touched on a few cultural touchstones in your kind of queer journey, uh, the well of loneliness, the children's hour, but you also talk about those kaboom moments. Do you, did you have like a kaboom moment where you're like, this is my community and I'm going to fight for them in this way? Look, I did. Can I, could I freeze frame kaboom oh, yeah, just for please, a minute? Because yeah. you reminded me, I forgot to mention Sunday Bloody Sunday. Oh, yes. Uh, if I could just quickly, I don't know if you've ever heard of a film called Sunday Bloody Sunday. It's got Glenda Jackson, Peter Finch and another boy whose name I forget, but he was a tremendously good-looking young man. <laughs> and it's basically about a, a threesome. And, but the point of mentioning is it came out in 1971, so it's another high-quality film. You can tell with the, the cast. And... Um, at one point, Peter Finch kisses, like it was a, t- it was a tonguey, but it was discreet, uh, the young man. And I mean, this is, so I would, it would have been either 1971, I'm in year 12, or 1972. Mm. And the whole of the cinema in George Street went, <gasps> <laughs> I'll never forget it. And what was your reaction? As I, they were going, <gasps> what I, were you doing? I thought, oh my God, it's so unacceptable. I've never, people don't make noises in cinemas. <laughs> you know, I, know, I mean, Rocky Horror, has, it's, it's 20 years away, right? People were silent. I'm old enough, ladies and gentlemen. We used to stand and sing God Save the Queen at the movies. Hand up if you can remember that. Thank you. You did not gasp in a movie. And, and, and the whole... We weren't at a university showing. This is George Street. I, it was like a, a, a stab through my heart. Mm. But I'll tell you something. Look, the truth is... A bit embarrassing, but you know, when you're young, there are these things called hormones. Oh yeah, I like you them. Know, I, you mm. know, I, <laughs> I, um, I, I had, you know, I did have relations, sexual relationships with young men in my early years, and funnily enough, one of those guys has been contacting me recently. So there were people I loved and I really cared about, but I had feelings for women that were different. And I think there was something in me, and, and where I had the kaboom moment, mm. I'm trying to remember, Melissa, if you can remember the name of the film, because I've talked to Melissa about it, but it's, um, oh, help me, Ma- uh, Marlena Dietrich, Carrie, Gra- what's it called? Morocco. Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it'll be on that thing you all watch, Netflix, I haven't got it yet. It's called Morocco. And let, can I just quickly yeah, give the please. scene? There's a famous scene, if you just Google Morocco, Marlena Dietrich, as soon as you get out. And so she is a cabaret singer in, um, help me, where is she? Morocco. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I like interactivity. (laughs) 
<laughs> and she dresses. It's, it's the three tiers, like the Shakespearean globe and the rabble are down the bottom and the aristocrats are on the side and the aristocrats are in evening uh, uh, gear and she's dressed as a man, you know, in a mm. tuxedo with a top hat. Do you know the scene, guys? And, uh, mm. and, she, and in it, she goes over... And just as part of her sexy song, kisses one of the aristocratic women on the mouth. I was thinking I was in George Street again. <laughs> and I just thought, I don't care what the price is. I, I, I can remember thinking that. I do not care what price I will pay. I, mm. will, I will be a lesbian. Wow. It was that. It was just, I just thought, bugger it. Uh, uh, and, and that was, a, I know that sounds about to sound odd to you guys, but it was a big deal. I was a very straight, ambitious girl. I... You know, I was a very straight kid and I wanted a conventional... It was the birth of feminism. I wanted to be successful. And I, and I didn't think that I could have both and I thought, bugger success. But I want to kiss the woman in Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> but it was art, cinema specifically, that gave you that vocabulary well, and thank chutzpah. thank God. Yes, it was. Thank God for cinema. But you know you're desperate when you, The Well of Loneliness is a good book. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what you do, there must be people here who can remember, is if you're a girl, you identify with the boy and you're, you're kissing the female and, and I assume the boys are doing the opposite. You know, you, you get a little muddled for a while. <laughs> Let's just bring it back to present day before we take audience questions yeah. as well. A couple more questions. Uh, the Compass special that's coming up, let's yeah, give it a bit yeah. of a spruik. It's showing on Saturday the 23rd of September. That's right. And, and I've seen the rough cut just yesterday. Uh, Peter Murphy, Sally Colchin, uh, 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 Tobin Saunders, a whole range of people and with lots of archival footage. Mm. So if you've got a real interest in the history of... Gay Liberation in Sydney and, 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 and what happened next. Couldn't recommend it more. They've done a fantastic job uh, with very tight editing. And just before we take it out to the audience, and we'll get the lights up soon, and I think there are mic microphones there and there, so if you start making your way, let's continue the conversation. Um, don't be shy, because we are not. Uh, so please start making your way to microphones one and two, and we'll start taking um, questions there. OK, look, this conversation that we're having here in the Playhouse right now is the national conversation and will be for the next couple of months with this voluntary same-sex postal survey thing that's coming up. Um, how, how should we be feeling about this and what would you say to people who are feeling ambivalent about the entire process? Oh, well, look, I don't tell people how to feel. I can, I can quickly tell you how I feel. Please do. Uh, uh, you know, I, I um, was hoping that our parliamentarians would take it to a, a, a conscience vote because I, because with the history that I've now revealed to you, I didn't want other young kids hearing grim stuff and getting upset. As simple as that. Because some people get really upset. Um, uh, but now it's on. I was saying to Ben, it'd be like coitus interruptus if the High Court says it can't go ahead. <laughs> you know, it's, all, so it's like... I, a I'm big pull-out. I'm kind of... <laughs> yeah, it's a big pull-out. I'm sort of curious to see what will happen, you know, how many people will front and how it'll go. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, I, th I think if... We have to act as if it's going ahead until we know otherwise and we have to argue for yes votes because it will be influential on the future of policy. I find it such an interesting question, you know, why are, be, why are we being so slow when we've been so progressive? You know, Chile's just gone through Malta. Hmm. They'll be, forget New York, Melissa, we could have gone to Malta. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to go for it. Don't be ambivalent. We embrace every opportunity. Hmm. We've got a question at microphone number one. Hi, Julie. It's, uh, my name's Kate. Um, I'm one of the many senior editors here. Um, just talking about the zeitgeist, 
Um, and it's one of the things that um, at Mardi Gras next year, we've got a lot of 78 kind of things happening. Um, and, and it really is interesting to have the zeitgeist because what you didn't mention, which was very important in my time, was the whole sexual politics that were going on in the early 70s and leading up to and in part of and after the first Mardi Gras. Um, because, you know, there might have been some really great men around and there were some really bastards. Um, you know, the whole sexual sexism and misogyny thing was alive and well in the gay community at that time. And so there was a whole lot of women, and I was one of them, who became lesbian separatists, so we'd have fuck all to do with the men. And we had our own community going. And then you had people like yourself who were narco-lesbian, Spartacus, you name it, you were it. Um, you were everywhere. And, um, but, you know, for that night, so for, for whatever happened on that night, on, on that weekend, we put our sexual politics to one side and we came together. And, um, and the AIDS crisis did exactly the same thing when that, when that hit. The women came together. And I think, you know, you can't forget the whole feminist um, uh, liberation, etc., that was going on at that time, which is almost like a dirty word now, uh, as being part, a very, very important part of that zeitgeist. And I just finish on saying it's really a comment to, you know, I was outside the young, and they are young because I'm 66 now, so they, everyone looks young to me. Um, were trying to get me to do the marriage equality thing. Well, of course, you know, I'll be there, of course. Um, and having just having conversations with, you know, the future. And I'm just thinking, that zeitgeist in 40 years has created this zeitgeist because there's so many people out there, more young people, more engaged. And they don't, maybe they don't even see it as being political, but what they're doing is what we were doing. They just don't have some bastard, drunken cop bashing the shit out of them. Mm. Thank you for your contribution, Kate. Could I just make a very quick comment? Just a very quick comment. The, the, the truth is, I think, that the, 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 the numbers of people that were involved in gay liberation became so large that there were many different stories. Uh, and so... Uh, and many different points of view. So just very quickly, some of us, like I, such as myself, I wasn't just marching about gay liberation, I was marching about women's lib, we were marching about land rights. I, w I was most involved in prison reform, one of the most singularly unsuccessful... I, I almost think I'm the touch of death to most <laughs> causes, but anyway. Uh, so I, so I, there was others in the room who we went to many demonstrations, but there were some people who only cared about homosexuality. Not only, but that was mm. their thing. Uh, so, and there were some women who um, abhorred drag queens and that kind of entertainment. I, I've actually been having a dynamic debate on Facebook in the last 48 hours, whereas I wasn't one of those people. I went on to a career in comedy with people who said many things and, and uh, I was drawn to the exaggerated exploration uh, of the bohemian underworld. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so there was a whole life in Darlinghurst that wasn't even gay and straight. It was even more diverse than that. I suppose we'd call it transgender now. So we were a mixed crew, weren't we, Kate? But there's nothing like being bashed and thrown into a van to build camaraderie. And I... <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, she's right, and you'll see in the compass if you watch it, the impact of, of, of HIV-AIDS where women 
rallied and, and, and got actively involved, and that's discussed in that program. So mm. thanks, Kate. Thank you, Kate. Another question here. Hi. Um, so I think the first bill regarding marriage equality hit the parliamentary floor, floor in 2003 or 2004, so it's been a long time. Um, it's far longer than decriminalisation took. It's far longer than marriage equality has taken in other countries around the world, not just in the sense that they are ahead of us and they've done it, but in terms of the amount of time between that, that landing on the political agenda and actually passing. What is it about marriage equality specifically or the Australian political climate that you think we've been so... so this has taken so many tries to even get this far? Mm. Yeah. I sort of feel like I'm interested in what Ben thinks, to be perfect. No, no, no. Yeah, no. no. Could I do a quick one but then you say two? Would that be OK with the audience? I think it'd be interesting to hear both. So I've got two things, and I've never heard anyone say either of these things, so they could be completely wrong. So I'll just do it very quickly, and I, but I'm more interested in what others think. But firstly, I've wondered if it's something to do with our prison history. Um, and this is a very dark thing I'm going to say, but I have had a lot to do with prisons and prison mm. attempted prison reform. And it is the norm in prisons, very sadly, and in child welfare institutions... Uh, for rape to occur, sexual assault, so involuntary ma male-to-male activity and, and to a much lesser degree but not completely missing in the female environment. But in the male environment, uh, you know, you don't want to be a young man who can't fight in a male prison. It's as simple as that. and It's a major uh, duty of care issue within the prison system. And uh, we were a prison. Uh, so I wonder, people don't study history and think about Australian history, but what does it do to us that mm. we... It's not that long ago, guys, particularly in some parts of Australia. Um, and, so I, and Tasmania was where you were sent if you were caught having homosexual sex, and they were the last place to decriminalise. So I, I, someone needs to do a PhD, but is there a link between our prison history? We brought the women out on boats, remember, and that was partly to stop it. Mm. You with me, guys? Anyone else? If it was someone read a PhD on this, I don't know. But I've often wondered: is there a link there between a sort of dark memory of uh, against sexual violence within mm. the kind of unspoken culture? Linked to that idea is why are the Anglican and Catholic churches still dominant in our public life? And they are very dominant and very influential. And I think, again, I would link it to something in the past and the present. In the past, they were the civilising force. The, uh, for the Irish convicts, it was mainly the Catholics, and for the uh, British Protestant redcoats, it was mainly the Anglican Church, the Church of England. Um, and so they all... they were built into the fabric of our, uh, our governance right from the word go. And in recent uh, years, and there must be a few public servants here, we've done a massive outsourcing to, uh, of, of a lot of community services to the churches. So they have big government contracts and as, and as a result, high levels of contact with our political leaders at local, state and government level. So they're very, very influential. Um, and... Um, the other thing I would say is we're one of the only countries in the world that gives so much public subsidy to independent and Catholic schools. Mm. I, I'm a product of independent schools predominantly and I've been on the board of Skeg Stalinghurst, so I'm not actually speaking against it, but it is, I'm just noting it. And so a very significant proportion of the Australian population, particularly the middle and upper class, send their kids to Catholic and Anglican schools. So there is still a direct influence there. Mm. So... Uh, they're the three factors that make me think that 
the advocacy of the Anglicans and the Catholics, and of course other faith groups as well, but they're so minority compared to them, is so influential. So they're my thoughts. What, what do you think, Ben? I've got a few theories. Um, one is that homophobia is a, is a major artery in Australian history that we haven't really acknowledged, right? Um, I was an associate producer and a researcher for Deepwater, the, the documentary, the feature-length documentary about the gay hate crimes in Sydney in which at least over 50 to 80 men were um, bashed up by youths. Um, and these are ordinary teenagers as well, teenage gangs throughout that period between the 70s, 80s and 90s. And just not knowing about this horrible part of history and the fact that this was kind of a, an unofficial coming-of-age sport, you know, to go poof to bashing, really horrified me. I grew up in Queensland where homosexuality was, a, you know, it was the last mainland state to decriminalise homosexuality as well. Like, we haven't come that far from when those incidences and when those laws were still in place. I think also I wonder whether Australia has a pretty extreme form of masculinity and how we police that masculinity is kind of baked into our culture as well. And thirdly, I mean, I haven't, I haven't done research into this, but I do look at Australian Parliament, and I'm talking about the lower house and Senate, and I, and I see uh, an image of Australia that doesn't match what I see when I walk out into the street. What does that strange misrepresentation of our citizenry due to our politics as well. I'm talking about age, I'm talking about sex, and I'm talking about, obviously, sexuality and gender diversity as well. You know, what, roughly one in 11 of us are a part of the queer community. That doesn't match up with the stats in terms of the people calling the shots either. Yeah, anyway, those are my thoughts for today. <laughs> yes. We've got one more question there. Um, um, as a young queer woman, I'm having a lot of these conversations about LGBTQI rights at the moment, especially surrounding um, the plebiscite. Uh, in fact, I had a very interesting conversation with my grandmother this morning. Um, How'd it go? Surprisingly unwell. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, with your many years of talking to people and wisdom on this, how do you best suggest addressing people like my grandmother who... Um, is quite dogmatic without many facts. <laughs> huh. yeah. Look, uh, uh, there's a quote that just helps me in my life all the time, and I, I don't know who said it. I should have looked it up before I came. Uh, uh, miraculous changes happen apparently overnight, but they're based on days, weeks, months and years of longing for something better. And that's true for many aspects of social change for me. I personally, and this is, everyone's different, but I personally value my family of origin enormously. I, I've had, um, my, I have an uncommon name and I, they're all alive. My mum's still alive, so I've been very, tried to be respectful and private, but it has not been an easy path for me with my family. Uh, but I value those connections. And so I, I'm one, uh, I do have, can you, dare I to say something called blessed are the peacemakers. <laughs> That's a quote from the Bible. Does anyone recognise it these days? <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I believe in, um, in building, lighting a candle in the darkness, building a path to peace. I, I, I debated David Van Gend at the Sydney Institute late last year. He said things that were very uh, 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 aggressively antithetical to everything I believe in and I shook his hand at the end. I'm that kind of a person. So I think it's more important to have a good relationship with your grandmother 
uh, than to seek to change her. And so I talk about things you've got in common. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, others have taken a different view. I'm, so. Can I, can I extend on that question? Because a lot of the commentary about uh, the debate that's happening right now is one of respect. And I think in that is the subtext of also watch your tone, because your tone can... I think the message is that your tone could potentially bring in or alienate potential allies. But what we're talking about right now is taking to the streets and facing brutality as well. I mean, the tone of that is, is violence enacted on you and needing to resist as well. I mean, what, where are the lines of respectful debate and, um, you know, and, and policing tone? Uh, look, again, this is just me. I mean, it's the last couple of minutes, I'll just be me. I, I, I really believe in respect. And, and um, Kate mentioned lesbian separatism. Years ago, so this was women really did form homes in places like Petersham, where uh, boys over the age of seven weren't allowed in the house. Women who had sons didn't bring their own children into their homes. Well, I wrote an article against that. It was called Women, 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 Whippets. It was a satirical take on the different spelling of women because back then we didn't like the fact that man was in woman. You know, it's very hard to imagine what it was like back then. But, <laughs> um, but I, I wrote a critique of it and, um, and I was viciously attacked. I, I've even still kept some of the stuff that was written against me. It was just amazing. Well, several of those women are now heterosexually married with children. Good luck to them. My point is, Ben, things change over time. If you, <laughs> if you just let's all, we live in a country, I've got one minute left because we've got to get out of something else coming in. You remember when Gough Whitlam lost power? Some of you would remember that. You know, we, I, we went to rallies of tens of thousands of people. Everybody I knew was 100% sure Whitlam would get back in, Fraser got back in. That's why I'm kind of curious to see the vote. I would, you know what I'm saying? My mother always says, this is in the context of the Sydney property market, but I'm sure you understand what I'm referring to. <laughs> you never know till the market speaks. That's the auction, right? <laughs> what the price will be. And I don't think you ever know till you get a vote. Um, so, sorry, I, I guess I've slightly lost my train of thought, I guess. Mm. <laughs> but you know what? The conversation doesn't need to end here, even though we've unfortunately run out of time for today. The conversation continues, not just between ourselves, but with our families as well and everyone else, especially in the next couple of months. Um, but for the time being, could you please join me in thanking our wonderful guest, Julie McCrossan. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Julie McCrossan with Benjamin Law rallying the troops and lighting a candle in the dark. If you like this talk, make sure you subscribe. Ideas at the House is available wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up, it's Glasnost, Gorbachev and other grumpy old men as Arkady Ostrovsky looks at the invention of Russia.